This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Remember, always be closing. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. This episode features an interview with Peter Isaacson. Peter is the CMO of Demandbase and one of the originators of the ABM product category. In this episode, we talk all things ABM, and we also dive into some of Peter's tips for better storytelling and category creation. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. To my left is Lauren Vaccarello. What's going on? Not much. We, uh, we're we having an exciting day today. We've got a change of location. Change of location. We're at 680 Folsom Street in downtown San Francisco at Demand Base HQ. And across from us, sitting, I guess, kitty corner at the table, Peter, what's going on? Hey, uh, not much. Thanks for coming into Demand Base. Happy to host you guys and uh, looking forward to this uh, conversation. We are as well. And it's not too often that we uh, saunter our way down to San Francisco, except for the fact that Lauren lives here. That's true. Um, I, I greatly appreciate that you're located here because it makes my day that much that much easier. I'm there for you, Lauren. Appreciate it. <laughs> so you have a really interesting career with uh, being a CMO multiple times. Uh, you did a little agency work. And for the past five years at Demandbase, have been working on really pioneering a category in, in account-based marketing in ABM. So we're going to get into all that stuff. But first, how did you get into marketing? So my start was actually in uh, in New York. Actually, uh, started off at a couple of different advertising agencies for Saatchi and Saatchi, and then an agency called Amarati Puris Lintas, which I don't think exists anymore because of the mergers and buyouts and everything else, the consolidation that went on. Absolutely. But yeah, my first 10 years were uh, on the agency side. I like to say that I absolutely loved being on the agency side for nine and a half of those 10 years. (laughs) And then one day you woke up and... I just hit a wall, right? Like agency side was great. I think it prepped me really well for, you know, expanding my role in marketing, but kind of growing my career. But after a while, I just got kind of tired of being in a service business. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I just wanted to be closer to the center of the flame, which as much as you think you are when you're at an agency, there's other stuff that goes on on the client side that you're just not privy to. And I, I just wanted to be part of kind of that part of the business. Yeah. I mean, what were some of those lessons that you brought with you that you kind of still use today or, or look at things as a CMO, like with some of those kind of service mindset? Yeah, I, I, I think the training for it was great because it being in an agency, it forced me at a really young age. Like I was 23 or 24 and I was getting long passes and having to present in front of very senior people at our clients 
having to sell them on creative ideas, having to defend marketing plans, advertising plans, things like that. So it just gave me a sense of, I was doing it so often that it gave me a sense of confidence in just actually presenting in front of a group, but also thinking on my feet and being very quick to kind of respond to challenges or concerns and things like that, which I think set me up well for a career in marketing. You know, I also uh, just felt like being in a service business overall, just there's an energy about that because you are responding to client demands, you're responding to what's going on in the market really, really quickly. And that kind of action and energy, I think I carried through to my career in marketing. Do you look at pitches differently from your from your employees internally at Demandbase? Do you have a certain way that it's like, hey, if we want to do a campaign, do you have some sort of like special, uh, I almost said Peter Principal, it's a different thing, <laughs> um, that, that you kind of like look for as people pitch you with, uh, with some of their campaign ideas? I, I don't necessarily have a, a model or a framework that I expect them to deliver on. The things that I do expect them to deliver on, the folks that work for me, work on my team, do come, I think, get from their roots in my advertising experience, which is you've got to be able to think on your feet and be able to present at a moment's notice. So mm-hmm. it kills a couple of people on my team, but you know, I will sometimes pull them in and say, hey, in a half hour, we're going to go in with the CEO. That thing you've been working on, can you just give them a, you know, a download on it? I, my expectation is that they're going to be able to come in and without a ton of prep, just be able to sit down and have a conversation on it. So being able to actually do that quickly and think and speak extemporaneously, I think is really important. And I I just think that actually having the ability to tell a story really well is another skill. Like instead of just feeding out facts and figures and stuff, being able to actually weave it into a narrative that captures your audience, actually makes them interested, leads them to want to ask questions and really understand the topic that you're doing is another skill that is talked about a lot in marketing, but not always delivered on by marketers. Yep. And I I really like that you pull people in your te- uh, on your team in to meet with the CEO and give them, because it's a great learning experience for them, great to give them that opportunity. But also, people should know their business and know what they're working on and know what they do so that if they happen to bump into someone in the hallway, they can still be able to articulate it. So it's pushing people a little bit further. Also, it's what help makes all of us better. It's so true. So uh, not getting too far off track, hopefully, but when we develop our yearly or half yearly marketing plans, the thing that I instill in my folks is I want you to think of your strategy as if the CEO stopped you in the hall and said, hey, Bob, what do you, what's going to be your focus for the next year? Like, what's really important that you want to accomplish? You should be able to give the CEO the three things that are most important that if, I, if I'm able to accomplish this over the course of the next year, it will have been a success. And you should be able to tell that succinctly, concisely, and persuasively all within about a minute and a half. Absolutely. And we had a, a conversation with Corinne from who's the CMO at IBM Blue. Hello, Corinne. She's yep. awesome. She's fantastic. And she, like you, has bucked the trend of CMO 22 month and you're four or five years at demand base, which yeah. is amazing. And one of the things that she she talked about was developing people on our team and what you're going to do to 
how do we push them further and how do we make sure we are making a real effort with people on our teams to push them further to build their careers and to be able to instill this sense of storytelling within what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Corinne's, uh, Corinne's really good at that. I, I guess I, I have bucked the trend, beating the odds by uh, being here for four <laughs> or five years. I don't know if that's um, luck or, you know, the pictures I have about, you know, from the party that our CEO went to, but <laughs> somehow I may managed to stay in my seat. You know what? Whatever, whatever happened, it definitely seems to, uh, to have worked. And actually it would be great if you have any tips or advice for CMOs, heads of marketing, people that are in this role who are saying, okay, everyone tells me I'm on a countdown. I've got 18 to 22 months. I've got a, I'm going to be the first person out the door, but clearly that's not the case. So what advice do you have for, for marketers? Yeah. What, yeah. What'd you do in the first 12 months that allowed you to get the extra 10 and then ultimately, uh, (laughs) you know, let you keep spinning the wheel? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say on that is I think uh, I'm familiar with that 18-month or 19-month statistic. I haven't seen data more recently, Mm -hmm. but I bet that that has been changing because I think that the reason the tenure for marketing executives has been so short or had been so short was the fact that there was a period where marketing executives had a lot of data, but none of it was really tied to business impact. Mm -hmm. And when you don't tie your initiatives, the things that you're focused on, what you're doing in marketing to business impact and business outcomes, it's really easy for a CEO or a CFO or a CRO to just feel like, I'm not really sure what you guys are doing. And I'm not sure if you guys don't show up to work one week, whether that's going to make a difference in our business. Mm -hmm. Once we started getting better data and actually connecting our marketing activities more clearly, and I'm, I'm speaking on the B2B side because yeah. that's where I'm at, but more clearly to pipeline generation and close business and close rates and funnel velocity and things that CEOs and CFOs and CROs actually care about, our tenure, I think, has continued to expand. So I think the 18 months is probably outdated. Maybe it's gone up to 20 months, 21 <laughs> months, but um, I think our lifespan is getting longer in our seat just because we've been able to prove our value more definitively. Yeah. Let's get into, you know, one of those ways is account-based marketing. And I think as we've seen this kind of category rise, it has been kind of at the forefront of being able to prove what you're doing and prove what you're doing is working and look at it more methodically. You know, when we talked to Corinne, she had said like, hey, ABM was something we did in the service industry industry from the beginning. Like this is just old hat for us because you have to, because there's no product. There's no product to push. It's just, it's just the people in the organization. With regards to like category creation, how did you look at shaping ABM over the last five years? You know, and that's uh, getting back to the earlier question you said, what like, what'd you do in the first 12 months that gave you kind of a lease on life for the next 10 months? Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, coming in and recognizing that Demandbase had cool technology and an interesting point of view in the market, but wasn't operating within a category that marketers could actually identify and say, that's a box I need to check, was probably the first big step in really kind of developing 
a successful tenure at demand base, quite honestly. So coming in, recognizing that we needed a category, kind of really doing some deep analysis on what was going on in the market and identifying that account-based marketing, which had been spoken about a lot, but hadn't really coalesced into anything meaningful or anything approaching a category, we latched onto that and started talking about it in kind of broader terms and the impact of ABM and, and really just hammering on that message over and over and over again. So lots of things that we did once we decided we were going to create that category that happy to talk about uh, here if you're interested. Yeah, I mean, and how just let's start with how would you define ABM? Yeah, so... You know, you can go to a, ABM has caught fire, right? So a ton of consultants, mm -hmm. ton of folks actually have jumped into ABM. And a lot of them have very complex definitions of what ABM is. Part of that's self-serving, quite honestly, because they're trying to communicate that this is so complicated that you're going to need us to help you navigate it. We tend to take a more kind of simple approach to it and say, you know, there's Lots of levels of sophistication in ABM that you can jump into, but getting started is actually quite simple. And the definition that we use is just that account-based marketing is all about identifying the accounts that are going to make the biggest impact on your business, and then you coordinate activities with your sales team to go generate awareness and engage those accounts and close those accounts and then keep them happy customers. Very simple for me. So then how does, once you have like identified that, those, that group of accounts and like a lot of times, you know, people talk about like your ideal customer profile, if you're like early stage or, or whichever, or if it's a new vertical or industry or something like that, um, once you identify those, like what is, what are the activities that grow like awareness within those accounts? What are the things that people like use demand base for? Sure. Well, I think the first step is really identifying who those high value accounts are. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, uh, you know, different ways into that. Sometimes companies come to us and say, we've been working for three years with our sales team and we've got a list of 700 strategic accounts. I don't want to argue about it. I just want yeah. to start going after those 700, you know, strategic accounts. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Okay. Uh, understandable. Um, <laughs> But more and more companies are coming to us saying, you know what, we need technology to help us out with the identification of those accounts. And I think what's been really interesting is the pace of change where we've moved from kind of a data-based approach, kind of looking at look-alike modeling, mm -hmm. like, yeah, totally. okay, who have we sold to in the past? Let's sell to that profile yep. in the future to more predictive about like, okay, who have we sold to in the past? What characteristics do they share? But more sophisticated, like, what, like who are the companies intent. that actually are? Yeah. And then intent, as mm -hmm. you were saying, Lauren, is kind of the next phase, right? Where it's not just who have we sold to in the past, who, you know, from a predictive standpoint, should we be identifying, but who's actually leaning in right now? What mm -hmm. companies are actually showing interest and intense signals so that we can prioritize them at top of the funnel. So that's kind of job one, just identifying that target list of accounts and prioritizing them. Then you can start getting into the generating awareness and actually kind of moving them through the buyer cycle. Well, let's go. What? Are, let's go back to the intent signals piece because I think that's really interesting for our listeners. What are some of those intent signals? Because I think some of the kind of reductive thinking is like, hey, we have a customer that's a company that sells tires, like, let's go after every tire making company. And yeah. I think that's kind of like the old model that you were talking about. And that may or may not be right, especially if you have a really good customer yeah. success story about it. Totally. And I think it's, every, it's an evolution because that's better than 
I'm going to open the phone book and just start dialing. Yeah, and totally. this is yeah. customers who make tires seem to do well for us. Let's go after other customers that make tires. And then you get more and more focused and targeted. And then this idea of behavioral signals and intent goes, is it the fact that they make tires or is it the fact that there is this other event that's happened and that's what's triggering buying behavior? Or is it the fact that they don't want to upgrade to the next version of Siebel? Wow. They really just went there. They don't want to upgrade. I'm all of that on premise. (laughs) They don't want to do the Siebel upgrade. So that's going to be their their buying signal. Sometimes I date myself. (laughs) That was pretty good. That was really good. I'm gonna, I, that is going to come back to haunt you, by the way, Lauren. I'm yes, going to throw that one out. Absolutely. I'm like, oh, Siebel implementation. Be, who doesn't love a good Siebel implementation? Oh, God. They're Every, so awesome. Everybody. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. I mean, so I think what's in, what's fascinating about intent as a whole is how much more sophisticated it has gotten. So if you think back, the guys that founded Eloqua, they wrote about digital body language, mm-hmm. which was kind of a seminal kind of book on understanding those, those for them, initial signs of intent. But what that was is, like, are they coming to your website? Are they, you know, downloading a white Going paper? The pricing page. Are uh, the pricing page, things like that. The, the reality is that for today's marketers and salespeople, mm-hmm. that's way too late in the process and the buying cycle to totally. actually trust because by that time, they've already gone onto your competitor's site and everyone else's. And that also assumes that they went to your site because there could be a ton of conversations that you're not even part of that are happening. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So I think we're intent Listen has- to a podcast. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where they are, right? Exactly. But I hear podcasts are really, really so hot right now. So yeah, hot right so now. Hot right now. <laughs> so hot. More so people hot. should do them. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so I think what's really interesting about intent right now is that the intent signals you're able to capture, and this is something that demand base does really well because we've access, got access to a ton of data to actually identify people attached to specific companies that are out there on the web right now, not on your site specifically, but out investigating topics and keywords that are connected to your value proposition. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that initial phase of research. And those are the very, very preliminary signs of intent. So you're almost getting your accounts or prospects just at the first flinch when they're Mm -hmm. first thinking about, I think I got a problem, I'm starting to investigate it. And you can attach those keywords to the account and to your company's value proposition. That becomes really exciting. Yeah. I mean, this is some some inside baseball. I don't know if we shared this yet on the the show before, but the reason why the podcast, our podcast is called Marketing Trends is because it's like 10,000 monthly searches for marketing trends, right? It's (laughs) like literally people want to know like, what are the up and coming trends that are going to be relevant for their industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's what's happening. What do I need to care about? And how do I not just stay on top of what's happening, but how do I become better, better at my job? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, it's totally true. And I think it's, that's something that like, we always, we as marketers think about, like, man, they're just out there searching for this product. They really want these features and benefits. They really want this, I promise. And it's like, in actuality, the intent of the person is like, how do I get promoted? I need to do some stuff that gets me promoted. Like, what are those activities? Do you yeah. want to hear a fun story? Fire away. Do you know Demandbase was part of my first account-based marketing program? No kidding. Woo-hoo. They were. Um, I was, and it's so I didn't know funny. This. And it yeah. came after a search for and how do I get promoted? Yeah, yeah, right. It, 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 it was, was like, no problem getting promoted. We know that. 
that was that's not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was, and it's before account based marketing was a thing, so you didn't know to look for it. But it was um, year. Oh my gosh, this had to be six years ago, five years ago, and I was at Salesforce, and we were we were doing our first global brand campaign. But you know, because I was a performance marketer, I couldn't do brand campaign in air quotes, which is warm and fuzzy. And we said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a target account list. And we're going to come up with, let's call it a thousand accounts globally. And we're going to go after these a thousand accounts globally. Well, how do we do this? What do we do? How do we measure this? How do we identify them? And we had been using Demandbase and had just started using Demandbase. And we had to figure out who these accounts were. Were they coming to our website? If we ran these ads, is it going to impact traffic to the site? And what are the leads we were getting? And we were coming up with custom ads just for these thousand target accounts. And how do we bring them through the funnel? And then how do we go train sales on here's your target accounts? And it was so much of the what has now evolved into account-based marketing, but all the digital side and all the digital signals. And I remember going into Bambase and getting my reports of here's the counts we're going after. This was their traffic. Now this is their traffic. This is how we understand if this is working or not, because we had accounts that we were going after that never came. And this was the only catch-all you could do six years ago or seven years ago, was you don't know these companies never cared about your product. What do we do to get these companies to actually care? So what are leading indicators? And we're advertising to these companies to get them to care. They've never come to recite. Traffic spikes, what do they do? Okay, now sales is calling into them. Is sales getting a better hit rate with uh, with these accounts? Are they starting to take our calls or deals starting to close? And it was this really rudimentary, how do we put things in a spreadsheet and try to figure out this, we have to close these thousand companies, what do we do? And it's been so amazing to see how much demand base has evolved and grown and grown their product stack because we were taking so much of the earlier technology and trying to wing it. And now there's actual real technology that does this and a name for what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. You mentioned uh, Corinne from Blue Wolf talking about we were doing account-based marketing and business services forever, right? Might not have called it that. We were doing the same thing when I was working at Adobe years and years and years Mm -hmm. ago and head of worldwide field marketing. Mm -hmm. We were coordinating our activities with Mm -hmm. the sales guys against the 700 strategic accounts that were most important to us. So that stuff has been going on for a while, just like it's been going on when you chose the thousand accounts. The difference in what I think is so exciting is that before, when you were trying to stitch that together, it was a manual, sometimes analog, but it was not a, oh. it was so difficult we to do. We were totally winging it. It's, yeah. we know we have this. What are we going to do? We've got this random, we built some Salesforce dashboards. We're kind of looking at traffic. Yeah. How we got these 1,000 accounts. It's another. It's another story. This might have even been longer. This was, gosh, it might have even been like seven years ago, where now you're not you're not winging it anymore. And there's words and a, a category around what we were, B2B marketers were sort of doing. Yeah. And now it's the good ones were sort of doing this. Yeah. Now this is table stakes for what you need to be doing if you're going after accounts in the enterprise. Absolutely. It's just becoming kind of a standard good B2B marketing practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you build this 
category. I mean, you know, obviously there's a huge win for your team with the Forrester New Wave report, but that's looking uh, like way into the future. Like, what were what were the what were the things that you did over the last five years that evangelized this you know category creation? Sure. Uh, you know, I think what we identified was early on was that in order for a category to really be a category we needed three things to happen. One, you needed customers to be buying it, yeah. right? The technology. You needed media to be writing about it, and you needed analysts to be talking about it, right? So you needed all three of those things in place. So we were partnering with the sales folks to get the customers, obviously, mm-hmm. but we were out there talking to actual, you know, the, the the media and the trade pubs about account-based marketing. And all of these are kind of reinforcing kind of legs in the stool. The more customers we got, the more times we could kind of feed them over to the media and the mm-hmm. trade pubs so that they could talk about it and find out how they were having success with this new thing called ABM. But the real key was getting analysts, Gartner, Forrester, Topo, Serious Decisions, those guys actually talking about this like a category, that this was truly a set of technology that shared common kind of things and you needed to buy it. So really, we kind of very early, five years ago, started working with the various analysts and we started choosing the ones that really were starting to lean in and Mm -hmm. get this. And we just cultivated those relationships and worked with them, quite honestly, to identify what was important and what what really created an ABM platform. And that culminated for us, as you mentioned, in, in uh, I think it was May of 2018, mm-hmm. Forrester launched the first ABM platform wave, which was just a huge validation, not just for demand-based because we were identified as the clear leader, but for all of the different players in the category as, you know, this is something legitimate and real and long-lasting. And it completely validates the work that so many marketers had been doing of, no, no, I think this is something. I think this is something. This is meaningful. We're getting results. This is ad hoc. Part of it was old field marketing. Part of it's bits of digital. But no, this is actually a real go-to-market motion. And I love that Forrester has been the, the first organization to really recognize that this in so many ways is the future of where to where B2B marketing is going. Yeah. And it's I remember when it happened in digital probably 12, 13 years ago, where no one thought that would really be a thing. It yeah. was just this the what you know, that random person who sits in your office who kind of sits in the back that nobody talks to, that's what they do. Yeah. No, digital is actually something meaningful. And now obviously it is. And I'm so excited to see the validation around account-based marketing. And it's going to make not only marketers better at our jobs, but it'll also help speed up innovation around the technology side since marketers love technology. Absolutely. And loving it more and more. So a huge part of this over the next 10 years is going to be AI uh, and machine learning. You know, we had Vala Afshar on, on the podcast and he talked about, you know, how he calls AI augmented intelligence. And I think that ABM plus AI is obviously something, you know, you all are focused on, but it's something that I think is so interesting from a combination of like human inputs plus the actual AI, like the predictive analysis side, because it's kind of like this, um, you know, garbage in, garbage out scenario. Like if you're picking the wrong accounts, if you're doing that, like the, yeah. the folks who come to you and say, hey, this is what we, these are the 700 accounts this is what we want to do. 
What do you see as like this next phase of ABM with regards to AI and how companies can leverage this to do a lot of like the menial tasks that are human-centric stuff that we don't have to do anymore? Yeah. So one, it's just amazing how quickly AI has become just a core part of how marketing gets done. Certainly within ABM, we've taken advantage of it in a huge way but across B2B marketing and, uh, and B2C as well. But the things that AI is already doing for us is, first of all, identifying the right accounts and the right people within those accounts mm-hmm. to actually go after, right? The, we talked about intent, but that intent is driven by AI because there's way too much machine learning. There's way too much data out there for humans to synthesize. So you need the machines to actually go through it and learn from it and identify Second thing is taking and developing insights on those accounts and those people, right? So delivering that to salespeople, to marketers, so that we can act on it. But I think where AI is really going to make an impact and where ABM is going with a, with regards to AI, to your question, is actually automating the activity. So we've talked about next best action for mm-hmm. a while as marketers that you know we kind of know, a lot of folks will say, well, we know intuitively. If you're a good marketer, you know that if someone is at this stage of the buying cycle, then they should do Trigger this, this, right? Yeah. And that's what nurture emails, yeah. you know, torture emails have been <laughs> all about. Like, <laughs> like that torture emails. We can that's actually good. like predict exactly what piece of content they get. That's bullshit, right? Like yep. we're, we're, one, we can't synthesize that level of data. And two, we're not omniscient. We're not all knowing. Mm-hmm. So we don't have that ability to know exactly what we do. But when you get enough data and synthesize that data, then you can actually develop true next best action and automate the next activity, whether that's an email. But what kind of email? Is it a email around a case study or is it email around, you know, the Forrester wave? Is it an ad? Is it sales activity? You should get yeah. a phone call from a totally. salesperson because you're so far, right? Is it in product is something that you're going to do inside of the product if they have a free trial? Yes. And like, that's what gets me super excited about the future of marketing is if we can use AI from an orchestration standpoint of email advertising, in-app notifications, can I do some customization on the website? So if I know who you are, and by I know who you are, I mean you are 214ABX77 blah, blah, blah. So if we can identify who you are, can we give you the right information at the right time, regardless of the channel that you're on? And there is no way, it doesn't matter how smart a human is, we can't do that at scale, but it's such a good... I think this is such an interesting place for AI to go to start doing that personalization, customization that is truly channel agnostic. A hundred percent. And that's why you mentioned orchestration. The reason Mm -hmm. I think there's been such disappointment with the idea of orchestration Mm -hmm. has been because it's a cumbersome manual requires human intervention. The more human intervention that's required, the slower things go, the less scalable it is, all of those kinds of things. But once you can actually really across channels actually have this data that triggers a specific action, which the data has proven is the best kind of path towards Mm. getting the outcome, like a sales meeting or sales activity or a closed one business, something like that, like the better off marketers are. And I agree. That's why it's so exciting. And this, um, I've talked to people that are in kind of growth roles at B2C app companies. Yeah. And I think this, I'm going to go on a tangent, sorry, Ian. Um, Fire away. (laughs) This is where I... I think things are super interesting because you have these 
app-first companies that have these growth roles that are all about product usage because product usage is related to revenue. Um, it makes so much more sense when I say who these companies are. So they have these people that are pure data scientists and pure numbers, and they're going in and they're digging and they talk a ton about experimentation and what they can do. And they have worked with the data science team to build really extensive algorithms and promotion codes that will start to trigger based on what you did or delays in service or whatever it is. So we can really have this robust tens of thousands of combinations of what can happen. And I love seeing where these B2C companies are going with this. Now, the thing that they're missing is context and marketing Mm -hmm. because you have these incredibly, incredibly smart data scientists with these huge machine learning platforms that are triggering all these really interesting bits of comms that are going out. And I've met a lot of these people recently and they've got this sort of disdain for marketing. And they're like, we're not marketing, we're growth. We sit in product. Sorry for everyone that's listening that does that, but not we super sorry. We love you too. We love you too. Sorry, not sorry. So, sorry, not sorry. And they've got this disdain for marketing around it. And I look at what they're doing. I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. How you're doing this, the data, the AI that's going into this. And as a receiver of this, I have no idea why I just got 10% off. What you need to do is contextualize and have this combination of great data that's triggering the right next step. But tell me why. Tell me that I got 10% off because you screwed up my order and this isn't I'm sorry or I was five minutes late. And that's where I really want to see these disciplines converge is where you have the heavy data predictive. And there are some companies that are starting to use it. It's on fewer channels. But then you add like a marketing 101 class of just the basics of, yes, you segmented the data, but how are you going to communicate to people about it? What are you going to do about it? Because if you tell me that I got 10% off because you know, my service was screwed up and it was for my inconvenience, I will have a better emotional connection to your company. Otherwise, I'll just sit there and go, cool, I like free money. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's a great insight. Totally agree with it. And I think it cuts both ways, actually. Mm-hmm. Having context, um, not just for the end consumer of the content that's mm-hmm. coming their way, but also for the marketers that are actually executing. I think one of the things that marketers have been afraid of is the black box, mm-hmm. right? Totally. Not understanding kind of, I just can't turn the reins over. Maybe one day we'll get there where the yeah. reins are totally turned over and Skynet and everything else <laughs> will come our way. But for right now, marketers fear the black box where they say, I just need to know kind of why this action is taken, why this insight has happened, things like that. And I think in part that was spawned by, you know, some of the predictive companies that were mm-hmm. out there that kind of gave a trust us, like, the data says that this is an 88, so just accept that this is an 88 and that other company is an 85, yeah. and you should go after the 88 company, right? So marketers kind of reject that, right? Yes. So I, actually, You know who really rejects that is salespeople. Salespeople really do. Mm. Once, you, once you start getting into that, it's like, trust me, I can't explain it, but let's trust the uh, – yeah, it yeah. falls apart very quickly. But I think where AI can succeed is if you actually give the context and say, this company is actually prioritized for you based on intense signals. And by the way, here are the intense signals. Here's the lineup of kind of content that they've been consuming and activities they've taken. Now you can kind of look at and go, totally makes sense. And then as as a marketer, getting that list of intense signals, you can look at it and say, 
Yep. Agree. Agree. Oh, that's weird. Actually, that one. Can we remove that one? Because I know you think it is, but there's a nuance. Let's pull this from the algorithm and make it better. Or it's a sign that there's a flaw in what you like, how you've set it up. Some of the, you know, the inputs that you've provided that actually drives the AI. Right. So showing those outliers could be just, hey, we need to get rid of the outlier. It could be a signal. And we run into this all the time. It's like, you know what? We set up the model a little bit wrong because you're getting some bad data in here that we know intuitively we like we shouldn't be going after this church in Des Moines. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, do you think that that type of fidelity, I mean, I, I guess I'll I'll say, I think that from a sales perspective, that that type of fidelity is really interesting, but like the the first rule of sales is like to listen, right? So I think that there that needs to be, some of this stuff needs to be presented in a way that intense signals are listening, right? They're listening to the person's actions. Yeah. So we have all this information on like what the type of stuff is that they're consuming, but a lot of that stuff just might mean that they're confused. Like they just don't know what they don't know. So they're just trying to like figure it all out. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like, hey, they've done every single thing that we thought that they should do. They're either like the ideal customer we totally want or they're a competitor um, looking at our <laughs> stuff. But I think that there is the next level of this like intent piece is how can we pull more information and stop just pushing? Because I think that with all the stuff that we talked about, emails, push notifications, everything, like every single thing that we do as marketers is like push, 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 rather than like some of that like drawing information out of people. And I think that like as we get better with AI in ways to figure out how to have them like opt into providing information that can be helpful in that process, by the time it actually gets to the salesperson, they have all of these intense signals which are great. And then also they they can now extract and like actually listen from the person to say, hey, what are what are the problems that you're going through? Because I think some of the things that aren't accounted for in this are like, you know, my boss just told me we need something to CYA. Like, yeah. you know, we or I need something to get promoted and we need a new technology that shows that. Like, I mean, people buy for like all sorts of different reasons. Yeah. And some of those just aren't always the ones that, that we think. You know, Netflix does a great job of their taste clusters, right? Is this like human plus machine learning, right? Where you have like a, a, a taste cluster, which is essentially like a persona, right? Mm-hmm. Um, around these different things. But what needs to be added in there is like the serendipity of the, you know, the old adage, uh, and now for something completely different, right? Yeah. It's like adding in those like red herrings or whatever it is to the process. And I think that that stuff is just so exciting because there's ways in the future that, especially different leaders within the organization too. And I'd love for you to talk about that. As you look at these accounts, the types of actions that different executives are taking that may or may not be influencers in the buying cycle, like how do those intent activities shape what the buyer is ultimately doing? Yeah, I mean, that's it just comes down to kind of being able to synthesize through tons of data and getting it down to the individual level, not necessarily down to the PII level where you identify that, you know, it's Bob McMahon and, you know, such and such, but actually getting it down to the, you identify this is a senior executive that has taken some type of action and requires, because of the where they're at at the company, requires a different level of connection that's going to be very different from the marketing assistant that's doing some of the grunt work and evaluation and stuff and is eight clicks below that other person. So contextual, kind of really understanding kind of who they are, where they are, where they sit in the company, all of that is some stuff that, again, 
very difficult for humans to do that at any time of scale. A salesperson can do it for a single account or their handful mm -hmm. of accounts in their patch, but you can't do that at scale and you just you just need AI, machine learning. That's, again, the part of the promise of it. Yeah, and that's the thing where it's like, to the salesperson, it's like, hey, what is marketing doing for me? It's like, oh, they're the one who prepped you a four-page report on this account, which has all of this list of the ways that different people within the organization are, are engaging with our stuff. Exactly. I mean, what, we're, what we've almost got, but what we're kind of taking the final steps to complete is like an account 360 where yep. mm -hmm. you really identify. And, you know, uh, Salesforce and, you know, a CRM system attempt to do this, but, and they have a certain portion of the signals, but again, they're not reaching out into the broader yeah. internet to show kind of what folks are investigating at this company, what keywords are associated with yeah, the totally. kind of stuff that you're doing. So you're really not getting a holistic picture of them, but providing that to a salesperson just before they go on to a sales call and say like, wow, I not only see what their site activity is on our site, I not only see kind of the webinars and other stuff that they've done, I've got their org structure, all of that stuff, but I also know what they've been doing offsite mm -hmm. and how they've been interested in these other things and how they've gone to our competitor's site. So they're clearly looking at X, Y, and mm -hmm. Z. And I got to know that those are the guys that I'm competing with. Exactly. And if you can walk in saying they are all, they are talking with these other competitors and you're a great seller, you then should know, well, here's, here's why I win against these competitors. And you don't directly want to say, you know, this this group is bad. It's how do you bring up your pitch points? And it becomes a great exercise in sales enablement, sales training. But how do we better arm and inform sellers? So, you know, this is who you're competing with. This is why you win. How do you change the conversation and quickly change the conversation from features to this is your business value. Yeah, absolutely. And the one caveat of all of this is we just then require the salespeople to read the account 360 that's provided to them. <laughs> and if I could... Absolutely. And the I good could, ones will. The good and, uh, ones will. And the other ones won't make their number. Yeah. Yeah, you totally let us know when... Uh, when that's live, yeah. you want to break some news, just uh, let us know. So, uh, yeah, the podcast kind of, yeah, turning up the big stories of the day. Yeah, hey. heard it here first. We've, we, what did we, we some, somebody broke something the other day. We, yes, we did. Um, I forget. Okay, let's get into the lightning rounds. These are fast and easy questions, just like Pardot, B2B marketing, fast and easy. First question. First question. What is one piece of advice that you would give to an up-and-coming marketing exec? First-time CMO. Let's go with that. First time CMO. Oh, first time CMO. Oh, that's different. Understand what your priorities are of your CEO, because if you are not in alignment with your CEO and what's important to them, no matter how great a job you do and the things that you view are important, you will not succeed in that company. Love it. Best campaign you've ever been a part of? Boy, there have been a ton. Um, but quite frankly, this is not necessarily a campaign, but I would just say probably the most gratifying initiative that I've ever been a part of is building and establishing ABM as a category and demand base as, uh, as the leader in that category. What's your favorite podcast? This one, Marketing <laughs> Trends. Jesus, no brainer. Best answer ever. <laughs> Uh, the my second favorite second one favorite. I would throw in though, yes. um, it's not a it, Preet Bharara, the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, is fascinating. And hmm. if you want like a great dissection of all of the politics that are going on around the Mueller investigate everything else, really cool. Oh, but, but it's a distant second to marketing trends. So yeah, Fair. hey, yeah. 
you know what? When you when you run out of marketing trends episodes, check that one out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's the worst campaign you've been a part of? Worst campaign. God, there have been a, a, as many worst campaigns <laughs> as there have been positive campaigns. I'd say the, the worst thing that happened during a campaign was back in my Adobe days and early days of what I guess were account-based marketing, but we didn't call it ABM. But these 700 strategic accounts, my field marketing team, we identified them and we were trying to get meetings with the CIOs for each mm-hmm. one of them. And we did kind of the classic field marketing kind of tactic, which was we sent a remote control car to each of the CIOs and said, hey, if you want to get the remote control, actually, like we'll deliver it in person. So, you know, simple mind, everything. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly successful until we sent one and it was a GM card, uh, car, excuse me, and we sent it to the CIO of Ford. Oh, man. It took us like three years to get back into that company. But, you know. Things happen. Yep. Marketing fails. That's great. Yeah. You know, you live, you learn. You live and learn. You live and learn. Um, yeah. The, the salesperson on the Ford account wasn't very happy. Yeah. They're one, like, but, yeah. exactly. You're like, those marketers don't know what they're doing. Isn't that something about marketing? You can do everything right. Be the best marketer in the world, the best marketing leader. And, you know, one tiny mistake. Oh, Those de- marketers don't know so, anything. So we deal with this all the time because we have, you know, six podcasts and we deal with a lot of PR agencies and all sorts of different folks. And all the time we have people that are like nervous about getting their customer on a podcast. And I'm just like, isn't this what you, this is like the best sales reps are like, oh yeah, here's like, here's all of my customers. Yeah, Can you get them all yeah, on? Absolutely. You know, um, it's like the best tool in the world. And then like other folks are like, oh, well, I don't know. Let me like, I'll, I'll set up the preliminary call and do lots of sort of stuff like that. I'm like, again, some of that stuff you totally understand. You want to be able to like be value added help and don't not put work on their plate. But it's funny. The other side of that is, is like, you know, don't be nervous. Well, since gonna... Lauren's been my customer for almost all five years that I've been at yep. uh, Demandbase, I kind of reverse engineered this. Uh, <laughs> I think I should get a little credit for kind of That's manipulating right. this, the, the process here. That's that true. You've inceptioned this. Yeah. yeah. Inception. <laughs> exactly. Put this, put this on the radar. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I just think that we're in the, the first couple of innings, quite frankly, on uh, on account-based marketing yeah. and what technology can do to help account-based marketing. But where I think this is going is, you know, right now we've got ABM is quickly kind of becoming part of the core technology stack and one of the, the pillars of a B2B marketing technology stack along with CRM and marketing automation. Mm-hmm. What I think is really going to be interesting in the next two, three, four years is how marketing automation and ABM kind of come together, quite frankly, because having a separate kind of marketing pillar around marketing automation and a separate um, stack built around ABM or a platform around that doesn't make much sense. So having a single B2B platform that really combines the ability to target individuals and accounts and buying committees that um, is a able to target your known contacts and your your anonymous visitors and again at the from the individual to the buying committee to the account level that's going to come together as a single platform somehow some way and i think it's going to make marketers lives a ton easier and that's going to be exciting to see how that unfolds over the next few years i would like that I would like to have that. I yeah. would like that. I, I would like that. Can I have that now? It's going to be cool. <laughs> yes. Watch this space. Can yes. I, can that, I have that, that now? That's pretty much a guarantee. 
thanks so much for hanging out anything final final words anything else hey man i love what you guys are doing this is a great podcast and uh thanks for having me on thanks for joining us and inviting us to your beautiful office yeah take care thanks Thanks, everybody thanks for listening to this episode of marketing trends marketing trends is brought to you by salesforce pardot World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.